welcome to the Navit Gaming Podcast, where it is our mission to explore the business and future of video games. We bring together the industry's brightest builders, investors, and thinkers to keep a pulse on current events, dissect emerging trends and games, share lessons learned, and have a great time. This podcast is also part of Novik's growing ecosystem, which ranges from free and premium research to consulting and advisory services. For more information, visit www.novik.co. Now, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Bush, and I'm excited to be joined by Alvaro Dwart today. Alvaro, who after leading studios at Gameloft and then serving as VP of R&D and head of studio at King, is now VP of Casual Games at Voodoo, which is undergoing a bunch of interesting change that we will talk about today. Alvaro, thanks for joining the pod. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Yes, it's going to be a bunch of fun because today we're going to dig into a plethora of topics is Hyper Casual dead? Um, publishing casual <laughs> games. And uh, of course, we'll talk just a little bit at a high level about uh, Voodoo's entrance into Web3. But first, to set the scene, Alvaro, could you tell us about your time at Voodoo and what you do as the vice president of casual games? Sure. I joined Voodoo for two years now. And basically, um, I joined to start from scratch the casual games division and to look after live games. And the idea is to help Voodoo to go through the transition from hyper casual to what we call hybrid casual. And basically the idea was to, to recruit the teams, to build these teams, uh, prepare the studios and set all the processes and, um, in order to actually be successful in this area. And I'm happy that we are starting to have a very interesting results. Yeah, no, I'm excited to, to dig into what's going on there. Um, and obviously, recently, Voodoo's head of publishing, Alexander Shea, Shea, I've totally yes, butchered his name. that's right. I apologize. Okay, I got it. Um, he stated that hypercasual is dead, which is a pretty big controversial <laughs> statement. And so we'll get back to that in, in a second. Um, but first, just to ensure we set the proper context for listeners, could you remind us what Voodoo's history with hypercasual is? Uh, like, how did it start and what did it lead to? Well, I think the, the hypercasual as a whole is connected to Voodoo. Voodoo has always been the leader uh, in hyper-casual and always, I would say, set the trends and long before the, that I joined and with very, very interesting processes and key games. And today we are still um, the number one publisher, but we, as Alexander Shea mentioned for us, yeah, we think that uh, it's time um, to turn the page uh, on uh, hyper casual in the in the old sense of, of the term, I would say. Right. And when did Voodoo exactly to start decide to start leaning in more as a publisher? Because according to to Wikipedia, and feel free to give any updated numbers, correct anything. Uh, Voodoo has now worked with over two thousand studios, and these partner right. launches account for seventy five percent of releases. So so when did the whole publishing bent here really begin? Uh, that's an interesting question. I, I think it has always been there because it's really part of the DNA of Voodoo to create an ecosystem of talent. And talent can be inside with studios that are built within Voodoo or with studios that are working with Voodoo. Um, this is really part on the ways of working before, and for example, even today for hybrid casual um, or well, basically any new venture project, we always have this double approach about how we can surround ourselves with the best, no matter what are the processes or the setup. Right. And how, how is the company, as best you can tell, I know you've been there two years, but how has the company like improved or adapted over time to become better at working with, with that pool of talent? Um, that's, a, that's, a neat, that's an interesting question. I, so first, I think when you are a leader, it has 
a few advantages because it creates a brand and uh, it creates a reputation. So it means also like people know voodoo and uh, and the word of mouth in the industry is is pretty strong, right? Everybody shares information. So I think that's one when when you create when you are operating at scale at some point you can also contact more and more uh, uh, studios, right? Um, it has this effect. And how we have been improving is we are constantly as well testing new things, testing new partnerships, and always investing a lot on our growth uh, capacity. And I think one thing that, for example, the, the studios that are working with us appreciate is the unique capabilities of Voodoo to actually acquire players in the best way and um, and for the cheapest way possible as well. Like coming, uh, coming from other companies, like one thing that was really, really impressive was the growth capabilities of uh, Voodoo. It's, uh, I would say, it's really world-class. Gotcha. So let's go ahead and um, talk about the whole hyper-casual is dead statement. Uh, which I know some people in the industry fully agree with, but there are also some some corners of disagreement, and maybe it just comes I'm down sure. to to how you look at the context around what what you're really trying to to say here. So, Avro, um, could you just provide some context on what Voodoo is seeing in its own business that led to this kind of statement being said? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know if uh, Alex would <laughs> anticipate the, un, the the hype that you would get uh, with this headline. It will be very difficult to follow him to have something so attractive. Well, first, it's not just a provocative statement because for us, most we are completely shifting. For example, um, uh, our teams from hyper casual to actually hybrid casual. So this is really. Something that we are doing internally is not just sending uh, signs uh, outside. And regarding your question, is hypercasual dead? I still believe that players are still very, very interested to test new mechanics, and um, and to and a lot of many, many people are really open to to try new things, right? So the, the games still have appeal. What what is the limit now is that hypercasual becomes less and less profitable as a business. Uh, now, with the changes from Apple, uh, it creates a situation that it's less profitable. Uh, and I think this is why you see more and more companies that are shifting from hypercasual to hybrid casual. It's with the rise of CPIs, you are the companies are really they have no choice than to look for games that have a longer LTVs, right? Um, and I have to say, for, and that's my, this is my opinion. Um, I, I really believe that the companies, all hyper casual companies, like um, the companies that didn't start the shift towards hyper casual, hybrid casual, sorry, two years ago, I really think they will be in trouble. Mm. Uh, because uh, cracking hybrid casual is extremely difficult. Uh, it takes a lot of resources, a lot of time, um, and takes many, many iterations. And if you are just starting now hybrid casual, when you have your core business that is being heavily challenged, I would say it's a little bit too late. What was really impressive here is... Uh, and it was before uh, before I joined, is that um, the CEO, our CEO, uh, Alex Yesdi, had with Laurent uh, and Gabriel, they had this view that even when they were at the top of their game on hyper-casual and hyper-casual was rising, the mind already shifted towards, we need to diversify now, now that it's increasing. A lot of companies sometimes that diversify when the companies are reaching a maturity, and I think it will be too late. Uh, uh, you, you need a lot of resources to actually crack uh, this new market. Right. It's a very, very different game. Um, one, one part of the debate that I've seen go on about hyper 
casual. It kind of revolves around like the the new rules around Google's interstitial ads, uh, around like more like what is or isn't allowed there. Um, so I, I'm just yep. kind of curious to hear from you, like how how important actually is that um, to what changes we're seeing in like the hyper casual market today? Like, is that an an overrated or an underrated story? Neither. I think it's business as usual in the sense that hyper-casual has been always extremely hard to crack. You need to test thousands and thousands of prototypes to actually get one right. Um, and yes, the platforms are constantly shifting uh, in terms of specs, right? Uh, and this is one of the many. Uh, and it always puts extreme pressure uh, on the companies to constantly adapt. Uh, but one thing is true, like the, the, the change, the IDFA uh, change on uh, from Apple, yes, it has. It had a very, very strong effect on uh, hyper-casual, absolutely. Right. Um, and the, okay. rules, the rules on interstitials, yes, I, uh, they have an impact, but it's something that we work, like all the companies they work with Google and Apple to actually uh, adapt and find the best way uh, possible uh, for the players and the platforms. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, let's go ahead and talk about hybrid casual then. And you kind of laid out the context of how Voodoo got a head start and thinking about this yep. and how, how you as a team were planning ahead um, early to have the best footing in this new um, market. Could you just talk about maybe like the beginning of that change? Uh, and I guess the part that I'm, I'm most curious on is, um, is even less kind of like how the team has to change thinking about game design. We, we can hit on that too. But I'm also just curious about what it means to turn to refocus an entire organization of of you know hundreds of people in a pretty pretty big way. Um, what has that looked like over the past two years, and how, what what have you and the executive team learned about um, doing that effectively, or or where you've made mistakes along the way? Just curious to hear hear, hear your thoughts on wow. that. Wow, that's a big menu. Uh... So yes, mistakes were made, absolutely. And yes, there were big changes, totally, and in a very short time. Um, I think what we tried to accomplish is really to stay true to our DNA, in the, that is in the sense that Voodoo, I think uh, we are well known for our speed um, and our capacity to really try things in a fast way, and uh, because it's not about also failing fast, it's also about failing often. And what the first approach, and it's still the same today, is we had an intuition that we are testing thousands of games every year. Um, and the idea was, okay, what if, if we change a little bit the way we look at the games and the KPIs, we look at these thousands of prototypes that are being tested, what if some games could have a different launch or a different, um, a different development cycle? So that was our intu intuition that actually confirmed that it works. But a lot of mistakes uh, were done along the way. Um, for example, in the beginning, we thought, okay, that an hyper-casual game could coexist with an hybrid casual game, with the, with the same gameplay, maybe as a sequel. Well, turns out it doesn't work. Uh, we also had a lot of iterations on prediction models, on ROAS models, and trying to find, okay, what is the sweet spot on, for example, uh, ROAS model from an hyper-casual to more casual games and trying to find, okay, where is the needle um, that works for us? So, for example, uh, we... Our, our current standard is that all our games on uh, they hit a ROAS of 150% on day 120. This took, for example, uh, time. What are the right metrics as well in terms of retention? Uh, uh, if you and it, it sounds very easy to say now, uh, but it took a, a, a lot of exploration. And for your question about the reorg. Um, we tried, for example, in the beginning to have 
casual games as almost a standalone structure. And I think it was very useful in the beginning because we needed to try and to pick up on voodoo games. But after, we also understood that at the same time that Piper Casual for us was less and less interesting, we consider, okay, what if we completely shift the company towards finding new core gameplays that is an expertise on its own and it's uh, really a craft on its own towards also another big team that takes those core gameplays and then launches them and keeps those games relevant for the next five or 10 years to come. And that's also a different uh, expertise, different uh, talent. So, for example, and this is, we came to this conclusion and at the moment, this is how we are operating. You have the full voodoo ecosystem publishing that is actually testing now. And we are in a, a run rate of a testing a thousand prototypes for hybrid casual. And then we are building studios that, um, that take those, um, those games and to launch them and give them a, another life. So I'm really summarizing in, in broad, uh, in broad strokes what happened. But also one thing that we, we knew because it's really part and it comes back to your first question about working with external studios. We also knew that we needed to surround ourselves with uh, experts in this area. And we, for example, put from the beginning a big effort on M&A. And, and I think not very, not many companies, I think, really successfully do M&A in the way they integrate and they make the companies grow. I'm very happy that, for example, with the acquisition from a company like Beachbum, uh, that was built really by very, very strong experts from Pletica um, uh, in Israel, and that now have, they are the leaders on tabletop games. Um, for example, they are bringing us also a lot of expertise around player segmentation and how you approach uh, uh, in-app purchases in specific type of games. So this is also another aspect that we were basically having a 360 approach. We wanted to crack hybrid casual and we were basically trying many things uh, at the same time. Well, basically two busy years so far. Yeah, seems like it. There's there's a lot going on in that answer. Uh, so let's let's maybe unpack that a little more. Maybe maybe bit by bit, and just get into a bit more more detail of whatever whatever you think is interesting here. So I guess maybe um, where we can start first is uh, I am curious too. I mean, obviously talking about a reorg is more more big picture, and it's obviously super important for a company to get aligned structurally on how it wants to work in order to get to wherever it, it is it wants to go. But obviously, there are so many layers to that, too, um, in terms of how people have to change how they work, how they kind of have to rethink individual roles. And I don't know all the details of Voodoo, but um, where I'm going with this is I'm curious how it changed um, kind of internally how the team's building games um, sort of had to kind of rethink their roles and kind of like rethink their um, like their focus on the kinds of mechanics that matter, the kinds of metrics yep. that matter. Um, so, so what all went into like actually working with the the game developers themselves to to make this change? How did that transition happen, and what did you what did you learn going through that specific part of it? Wow, that's that's an interesting question. Like all changes in the company, for some people, it actually goes very well. And you have really uh, many people that are very open to change. And I think this is the vast majority. Uh, I would say it's the DNA of, uh, of the people in Voodoo because hyper-casual hyper is so hard as a genre because you are constantly killing your ideas but to an extent that is it's brutal compared with casual so definitely voodoo is intrinsically a, a company that is wired towards change and how the developers are are taking it well it's basically by sometimes giving new objectives, right? Uh, as you mentioned, for example, we are looking, as I mentioned, at the ROAS uh, with a different timeline. We like games that have a 30-day retention of 10%, for example. 
we are looking for games instead of being 100% ads driven, we like to have a, a blend uh, of in-apps. And it's about understanding who can transition towards this model. And I'm happy that we took many people on board. What is the expertise that we needed to recruit? Um, and here, um, we surrounded ourselves uh, with, I think, very, very interesting profiles from the best companies um, that have a long, long experience um, on casual from, from Pletica, from, uh, from Plerix, from, uh, from Kings, Copley, Zynga. So we have all, uh, all of these when, when you blend and you start then to have a, a new shift. And also to be very frank, sometimes you, you have people that maybe they, they don't find it as fun as before or they, and then it's sometimes the time to say, uh, uh, goodbye or to part ways, right? It's very important that when you are trying something new, that every one pushes towards one direction. Um, but I have to say this type of org change to do it so fast. Uh, I'm still, uh, I'm still, I'm very, very proud of what the teams, uh, achieved, uh, to be honest. Um, many companies, sometimes most of the companies, when they have their core business that goes down, they just implode. And for us, we found a way to grow again, which, uh, which, uh, which is very impressive. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm curious just to double click into that. Um, uh, I mean, it's also been apparent to me that Voodoo has been good at moving fast um, for yeah. quite a while at this point, and it being ingrained into the culture is is really interesting and unique compared to a lot of other companies. Um, so I'm yes. curious, what would your what would your advice be to other to other teams, other companies that want to inject more of a culture of speed or urgency or or testing um, in, into themselves? How would how should they go about becoming more voodoo-like in that sense? Wow, that's that's a tough one. Um, I think it's many elements. I think one is not to be afraid of being radical in some decisions. It's okay sometimes uh, to make mistakes, um, but it's worth not to trying. And and also, it's very important when trying something new to get early results fast. Always uh, question yourself, okay, what is really the shortest route uh, possible for this project to get early results with clear objectives uh, in order to decide, okay, going to the next steps. And each project as well needs to have very, very clear governance with a clear gating system, milestones, and each gate needs to have very, very clear objectives. And the gates need to be there for something, right? If you are just, even when something, when something doesn't hit the mark, it's important to have the courage to stop and to be uh, radical on that stuff. Because if you, if you just let the things a little bit pass from gate to gate, at some point the gates lose a little bit their meaning and you lose a little bit this positive tension that it's necessary in order to go to the most important aspect of what you want to test. And, um, and it's very important to surround, uh, it's very important to surround ourselves with people that are into this mindset, uh, because it's very hard and, Small teams with, that have a little bit this attitude uh, can really do wonders in a short amount of time. Yeah, no, I just think it's hard, right? <laughs> um, and it's it one is of those very hard. It's not for everyone, but yeah, when you, you like it, just... you love it. <laughs> yep, and it's one of those things you can't just snap your fingers and suddenly change, right? Like I imagine it's ingrained in Voodoo's culture in so many different ways from from the beginning. In a lot of sense, that's just hard to to replicate if you also don't start that way. You are absolutely correct. Little details, right? For example, uh, we don't have we don't have meetings with PowerPoint decks. I know uh, that's just <laughs> anecdotes. Uh, 
Um, but that we always trying to cut through bullshit, and that's the, uh, the, the word that we use internally, uh, in order to have the, the, the shortest route possible, right? So we don't want uh, people to spend too much time outside the product development. Uh, so all the things, the way you do your meetings, the way the decisions are made, uh, as you mentioned, every little detail counts. You cannot just put the role on the team so say, be fast, and then you have a whole system that is heavy on taking decisions or providing help. Everything needs to be built for speed. Right. Yeah, that's super interesting. I could probably spend another another 30 minutes just talking about, uh, learning about how you guys move quickly, but let's talk about some other stuff. So um, earlier you also mentioned that, um, you know, Voodoo is building new studios and is, you know, been, right. been um, conducting M&A, but I want to focus on the building new studios point. Could you just unpack for us a bit more, like what is going on there and how is Voodoo thinking about like how to most effectively build new internal studios from scratch? As I mentioned, we really like to verify, we, we like to build proof of concepts for everything that we do. And, and this hybrid casual game strategy uh, took, a, took a bit of time. Well, uh, took a, a year, I would say, to, to really take off. But right now, I'm very happy that if we look at the games made internally, we are looking at a run, uh, revenue run rate of 150 million. Uh, and if you took also uh, the MNAs, uh, it's another, uh, you can double that. Um, so when you are at a 300 million run rate, you can say, okay, you are do going in the right direction. So we are successfully launched already two games. One is called Mob Control, uh, another one is Collect Them All. And they are starting to have a very, very interesting, uh, interesting trajectory. Uh, what we are doing now is doubling down on this success, and it is there, and it's the same strategy you have. Uh, you have uh, um, many like amazing teams from Voodoo that are trying to find the core games, and basically now we are recruiting uh, game leaders that have a strong experience in uh, casual games or mid-core to welcome those games and, uh, and to build a studio around uh, those games. And the beauty, uh, I think, of how we approach this is we, we really trying to put these game leads in a situation that they are almost small company owners uh, of their studios. For example, they can build the identity of the studio that they want, the culture, the process they want. They have a budget envelope that is assign so they can take all the decisions regarding recruitment, salary increases, trainings, basically avoiding every back and forth question. Okay, can I do this? Can I go there? No, it's just, okay, uh, proceed as long as you respect uh, uh, your gates. And they are, they are commanded, like in the beginning, we asked them to surround themselves with a small crew of around six people uh, to work uh, on the core game. And then we launch the game, and if the, the game takes on, then we start to hire more and more, uh, depending on the game trajectory. And then the number of employees is really parallel to um, the revenue trajectory uh, of the title. Uh, so what we are at the moment, we really, we are really successful on attracting very top talent. Um, but we are still looking for a couple of uh, game leaders uh, that if they are uh, very entrepreneur and uh, with a casual, strong background, yeah, I would be happy uh, to have an interview with them. Awesome. Uh, can you remind me, how many of these studios are there now within Voodoo? Our target is to have 13 studios uh, by the end of this year. Okay. Wow. That's a good number. Any any advice or any lessons learned on how you manage so many internal studios effectively? I know, uh, and I guess too. I just want to kind of um, kind of mix that with. Um, I think it's interesting that uh, of how you manage and provide like certain levels of autonomy uh, that you were kind of talking about, to where like the game leads are like really the decision makers um, in, in their own way, and how you try to minimize again those gates to continue building speed in the organization. 
Um, so kind of like from that lens, um, I'm just curious how you've, you go about managing so many while so ensuring that they have we, autonomy. We made a mistake in the beginning. Um, we were, for example, building a large a central team uh, uh, composed by veterans that had the objective to mentor, to coach, or even to direct an ecosystem of internal studios. Um, it's a, it was a mistake to do that, but a very necessary mistake because at the same time, we were also setting all the milestones and the process and the guidelines. But what we were actually doing in the wrong way is to trying to shift some studios that maybe didn't have the expertise on casual and trying to a little, to help from the outside. And here, what we came to the conclusion is that the expertise needs to come from within. You cannot compensate lack of expertise or experience from outside the team. And life just gets much easier for everyone when you hire a very, very strong game leader that really manage the, the studio and is very performance oriented and delivers, then you need really basically much less and less work on, um, on coaching, on processes, but actually the, the conversations become much more interesting on strategy and the creativity on the, on the products on how to make them bigger. So that will be, I think that will be uh, one of our learnings here on managing a, an ecosystem. And I think it applies as well for the M&A. Um, some companies, for example, they, and it's not, a, it's not a criticism, each company has its own culture. Some companies, for example, like to build companies and rebuild them or to convert the companies to the culture or to change the identity and the process and so on. And for us, for example, we have a very different approach. We are looking for companies that are really well-managed, that are already in a very interesting trajectory on their own. And our idea is when they join the team is to turbocharge that growth, but not to replace the processes, the people, is to really give full autonomy to the companies that join us and to help them where we feel together where it makes sense. For example, Beach Bum, they are so good at what they do and the help that we are providing is actually on the creatives and managing uh, how how to decrease CPIs. But in no way are we are going to tell them, okay, maybe you should do your feature like this or like that or recruit that person. We give them full autonomy on that aspect. Um, and the last aspect is to really, really have a strong discipline on uh, milestones and targets. And, and when you mix that with talent and expertise, then you can scale. Sounds easier to say than to do, but yeah. uh, that's a little bit the, the idea. Always easier said than done, right? Um, mm. Well, okay. I'm also curious because I know you have a bunch of experience from from Gameloft and then King um, yep. as well. Most <laughs> recently, um, what have your what have your lessons or takings from those companies been that you've been able to apply at Voodoo? Uh, there is I'm still learning to, uh, today, um, but I think there is a lesson that I'm constantly relearning, uh, and uh, it's really to have the courage to surround yourself with talented people that push in the same direction. And what I mean by that is when you are starting something new that is unknown, never done by anybody else, it's extremely hard. Uh, it's extremely hard when you have an idea and intuition and to go on uncharted territories. It's stressful at, at some times and you cannot follow, basically. It's just you are paving the route. And when you do that, a lesson that I constantly relearning is it's to be radical around surrounding yourself with pe people that are pushing in the and make the boat go in the same direction. I think um, I, I think this is a lesson that is I painfully learn uh, uh, from cycles with different uh, uh, 
uh, aspects. But when you surround yourself with people that want to make it happen and they are committed to to one direction, uh, it makes the things easier because talented finding finding talented people that just do things that they agree on, it's easy to find, I would say. Uh, but talented people that are willing to do something even if they don't believe, but but from a very professional perspective, they say, okay, I don't think this will work, but I'm very curious to to test to see the results in order to prove myself wrong. That's more difficult to find. And these are the type of people that you want to surround yourselves, people that have this professional distance towards game development, because a little bit like Game of Thrones, like no matter how many years we we work, uh, like we know nothing uh, about some features or some impacts. We are constantly taken by surprise. Right, and everything changes all the time. So you, you can never right. fully be up, up to date anyways. Um, at, at the company I was at last, our, our CEO, his name was Tom Gardner. He, he had a, a really helpful analogy about, you know, just everyone kind of working together to push the boat forward. And he was, he was just saying that he saw, I forget the specific numbers, but it was basically a study, um, where it was in most big companies, probably two or three out of every 10 people are, are the ones who are actively, you know, paddling forward really hard, are super aligned and um, want to, you know, like really continue to push the company forward and in all the ways they can. Probably about five out of 10, about half the people there are just kind of sitting in the boat. <laughs> they're, they're not really paddling forwards or backwards. They're just, um, you know, they're, they're, they're there doing kind of what they need to do, but not like actively thinking or pushing um, uh, the company forward in notable ways. And then, of course, there are the detractors. And yeah, I think most big companies probably, um, and, it, and, it, and it's hard because companies change over time, as you were saying, even even Voodoo has has had to evolve a lot. And people, sometimes not everyone is great at evolving um, with it. And so often That's there right. are like two or three out of 10 like detractors that are like actively paddling backwards um, to because they don't like the direction that the company is going in or they're, you know, they're just nitpicky or or whatever the situation might be. And so from like a leader perspective, like really, really making sure that who is on your boat um, uh, that you have is important and making sure that you have as many people paddling forward um, as possible. And however you hire, however you promote, however you like run the tenets of your culture. I just thought that was a really interesting um, this is so analogy. True. This is, uh, and, it, and it doesn't mean that the people, it's wrong people. It's just that maybe they are in yeah. the wrong structure and they will do great in other, other companies. But it's totally true. I, this analogy is great. Uh, uh, like the impact of a toxic person or kills the productivity of five people. Um, uh, there was this book called Multipliers that they were talking about a study across 100 companies. So when you are starting something new and you have those two detractors, like you are really literally decreasing the power of 10 people, it's immense. Um, and when you are starting something new, it's difficult sometimes to take the, the, the hard decisions on a timely base uh, uh, scenario. It's um, it's a hard lesson, but we are we as leaders we need to always relearn that aspect. Right. Is there anything else um, to note that's interesting or unique about Voodoo's culture that helps um, you um, and you know the the rest of the leaders in the company keep pushing forward? You mentioned speed. Is there anything else unique about Voodoo worth worth calling out from a culture perspective? This focus on performance makes it's such a good filter for a lot of conversation that can happen right it's uh, so many times you could lose a little bit focus on what matters but because that voodoo the things are so performance driven that we constant i i think we the teams have this ability to cut to cut through the noise and to go really to what uh, what's really necessary and uh, uh, and something that I love is is the, the degree of freedom. For example, we don't care how the game leads in their live studios operate. If they want to work in the office or remote, or 
we don't even talk about that. I think that's the beauty is that we don't even talk about this is we really, we focus on the game trajectory and the KPIs and the roadmaps and what needs to be taken, uh, the decision that be taken. But I, I'm really happy that a lot of conversations are not, are not taken because it saves a lot of time. I think that's, that's pretty unique to have a company at this size, I think Voodoo, it's it's still a startup at scale. So it's still like a company that you feel you are in a garage, but you have the means to do everything from big companies. So you have a combo of you have the budget uh, for your ambitions while you can work in a very lean way as if you were just starting your company uh, last month. And and uh, this is for me very, very unique. Yeah, that is unique. That's that's really interesting. Uh, well, I want to switch gears a little bit, um, and I want to kind of get back to talking about publishing a little bit. Sure. Um, and um, I guess kind of the question to to lead it off is, as Voodoo has been changing its focus from hyper casual to hybrid casual, how has sure. that had an impact on how the company thinks about publishing? It had the natural impact, I think the natural sequence that because we were doing publishing on hypercasual, then it made total sense to say, okay, maybe we should do publishing on casual or even mid-core. I think we have this amazing machine, our growth teams uh, um, that led by David that are really, really strong at scaling um, and we thought, okay, if we are doing that for hypercasual, it totally makes sense to do that for studios that are just being built. And most of the time, new studios, they don't, they, they, they can't have the same maturity and expertise on user acquisition as we do. And it's totally normal. So I, I think it's totally relevant and natural that we try um, to help on that aspect uh, as well. I, I think really it's a natural conclusion. Right. Um, and I guess as a as a follow-up, um, has changing focus a bit, does it have an impact on how many teams, how many games that you're looking to publish? Because um, I imagine, you know, hyper-casual, it's, you know, you throw a lot out there, kind of see what sticks, and, and then scale up from there to a much more that's radical right. degree than other genres. So by shifting to more casual midcore, is the publishing team getting pickier in who it's choosing to work with? Or are you still looking to work with as many teams as possible? How, how has that side of the strategy changed? No, you, you are absolutely right. We are looking for profiles that are a little bit different. Um, and we are uh, more picky around the studios that work with us, absolutely. And also we are more picky right from the from the start, even something that we, for example, we did a don't hyper casual so much that we looked directly on the game ideas and we even tried to, to kill ideas on the spot and say, okay, this is not a game that can be played in the next years to come. Don't even bother to test it, even if it takes a couple of weeks uh, uh, to test. So definitely, we we are trying already to identify some games that we feel okay. This doesn't have legs for a game for the next ten years. Um, I think this is uh, uh, a bit different. Gotcha. And anything um, about like how Voodoo has changed its way of helping teams? Uh, like, has any anything differently changed in terms of like what? Voodoo is building internally to help teams retain in a different way or monetize in a different way. Like how how has the team kind of thought through its own shifting to help completely new types of games and game teams? Well, um, there is a transition from pure ads towards in-app uh, driven uh, games. And this is, for example, this has implications on prediction models uh, and the way we acquire, absolutely. And this has also a shift on how we look at uh, roadmaps uh, as well. And I think 
a change that really happened across is this topic we were discussing around the expertise from within. Voodoo, um, years ago, was really around creating experts that could coach teams from the outside. And we are completely reversing that aspect and really putting the expert really down in the product development. So this, I, I would say, this is something that really shifted. But apart from that, it's still the same approach, right? It's really trying the, to get the results fast, uh, verify the, uh, your hypothesis uh, very early with clear targets. On that, the DNA change. I would say it's some of the fine tuning on the process around ideation and talent uh, was updated. Right. Okay. That ma- that makes sense. I was just curious to to learn more about how how you all have changed as as your focus has changed. Um, let's go ahead and talk about Web three a little bit as we kind of near wrapping up. I know Alvaro, you, you mentioned before we started that you can't say too much that it's still sort of in like a a, a venture stage within That's the right. company. So I won't I won't dig into too many too many details of 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 how the the team is thinking, but I do want to hit at it at a high level and really just kind of a first question just to to ask why this evolution is happening like what about the economics or user experience or something else of web3 um, is compelling to kind of like build this extra layer on on kind of on top of these games like why why that focus first i would say why not uh, i think voodoo okay. we don't really put ourselves too much limits on what we want to try uh, for example, we uh, we we move from hyper casual to hybrid casual, but we are also working on social uh, social network apps. Uh, for for the, uh, we are also on um, on working on very very different type of initiatives uh, at the same time. So there was something, and there is something that is happening uh, around blockchain. I think it's totally normal in our mindset and culture that say, okay, maybe we should have a look. And I think here the we are trying a little bit in the in the voodoo way that is we don't have we didn't have expertise, but it's by trying and really building something that you start to acquire um the experience that you need to succeed. That's it's when you give yourselves meaningful projects with clear ambitions that you can recruit. And basically, it's just not like talking. It's uh, we learn by doing, and definitely, I think a lot is happening on crypto uh, and games. I think a lot of ugly things are happening. But if you ask me personally, I still think that it can be a very cool value proposition for for players. Um, probably not in these games that are like more like Ponzi schemes. Uh, this, right, I think, probably uh, those games, uh, we would not see them uh, uh, much more in the future. But in the thing of, if you look at NFTs as a new generations of in-apps, that is small items that you can own or can help you uh, on the game and that you can trade with uh, with the community of players, it makes a lot of sense. You, you, We see that for many years ago on... I don't know, World of Warcraft, Diablo, when people are training weapons, uh, uh, armors, as long as it is reasonable, as long as it doesn't make, it doesn't break the game, but actually makes the game better and a better player experience, I see no reason not to try uh, to investigate on that. Um, I think it's going to be... um, when some companies and real game companies are going to approach this, probably we will see a new generation of NFT and crypto based on games that will be very interesting for the players. Well, I have so many questions that I could ask you, Alvaro, about the the Web three dynamics. But maybe you know, as we we get closer to closing, um, one one big question uh, that I think is interesting is why do you think Voodoo can succeed in casual? Uh, when so many others have failed, it's a crowded market. Um, you know, obviously you're undergoing a lot of change. It feels like a big effort. Um, so why are you and the team so so confident in your abilities to succeed here? I think it's a very legitimate question. And the reason I think we will make it 
and we are making it, is I think casual, it's a number of games. I think many companies, sometimes we tend to forget that you need to test ideas at scale and at volume. And for one game that is released, you have thousands of games that failed and very few companies have this capacity internally to test thousands of games per year. And our growth capacity to scale games um, with very aggressive uh, CPIs is a very, very strong advantage. And when you plug that with the expertise that we have on casual through the teams that we hired or the teams that we acquired, if you combine these three aspects, it puts Voodoo in a very, very unique place um, to succeed. That's what I believe, and this is what we are doing. And we are, and I'm very happy to say that we are starting to see very, very interesting results. Awesome. So looking forward for all of us observers from the outside, what should we be looking forward to? What what we, what should we be watching over the next couple years to see how Voodoo is going to succeed across all of these areas? Our capacity to release new hybrid casual games every year. Uh, I, I, this is going to be, I think, a, a challenge but I'm, I will be happy to p- talk about these titles next uh, next time. Awesome. Well, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, very final parting question for you, Alvaro. If listeners want to learn more about Voodoo's next steps, uh, whether it be publishing, Web3, um, hybrid casual, where should they go to learn more? Our website has all the contacts and you can contact directly Alex Shea for uh, publishing, uh, for example, if you have uh, some uh, questions, but you have also the contacts regarding M&A or even uh, myself. It's, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn uh, if you really have a burning question. Awesome. Well, Alvaro, this has been a lot of fun and informative. Thanks for joining Same the Nava Gaming Aaron. Podcast. Thank you awesome. so much. I really appreciate the invitation. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review. And if you want to reach out or provide feedback, shoot us a note at podcast at novic.co or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Plus, if you want to learn more about what Novic has to offer, make sure to check out our website, www.novic.co. There, you can sign up for the number one games industry newsletter, Novic Digest, level up your insights with our premium research platform, Novic Pro, or contact us to learn about our wide-ranging consulting and advisory services. Again, that is www.novic.co. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.